Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, just a comment, um, we usually don't talk about current events in these podcasts because these podcasts are kind of timeless, but we're recording this in early April, early March, mid-March, and um, it's sort of the beginning of the coronavirus um, situation that we're experiencing. And as you're listening to this, it's obviously probably later than March 18th, but we're just aware of that and we will continue these podcasts. Um, don't see a reason for them to stop. It's also the day of the Salt Lake City 5.7 earthquake, um, but the podcast goes on and we hope that it helps you just to listen to these stories in some way, help you manage the current events that you're dealing with during the time you're listening and the things our guests are sharing give us all peace and hope and comfort in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, we also appreciate those of you that are leaving reviews, particularly on Apple, where I watch them. Appreciate all you're doing to get the podcast shared to more people. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Alex Versey, um, spelled V-E-R-S-E-Y. And just by way of introduction, Alex um, is in a YSA ward in South Ogden. He just recently graduated from Weber State with a degree in health promotion. He um, served a mission in the Fresno, California mission. President Larry Gelvix was his mission president. He is the second missionary we've had from President Gelvix's mission. We had Nathan Smith earlier on our podcast, maybe 100 episodes ago, and I I'm familiar with President Gelwick since I went to Highland High School and didn't play rugby, but it was just happening. And of course, any of you that know Larry Gelwick know your, his story with rugby and just blessing thousands of young people's lives. Um, just this overview of the story that Alex is bravely to share. It's kind of a two-part story. The first part will be Alex talking about his father's death in a car crash when Alex was just three. His father was in his mid-30s and talking about, you know, that situation, their, his mother remarrying, um, that stepfather really becoming a wonderful role model father-dad in his life, and, and just talking about how to navigate very difficult things, and as well as also his father's example in his life, even though his father died when Alex is three, Alex will share thoughts about his father's role in his life. Then the second part of the podcast, uh, hopefully we'll get through that first part in about 20 minutes. The last 40 will be Alex sharing his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, Gallic, Alex is active in his ward. He served as an elders quorum president, as I mentioned, served a mission, and just share his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint, and um, especially advice to people new on this road so they can talk, listen to someone who's been on this road for a while. And one of the, and just the, his personal journey, as well as something called finding peace in the moment, um, even though there's a lot of questions in the future. Um, Alex and I had a prayer, and we just pray this podcast will be helpful. And Alex is one of my new heroes for just bravely willing, being willing to share his story. Is that okay, Alex, as far as introduction? I think that's great. Thank you so much. That that does me more than honor than I would think. So that I'm grateful. So thank you. Let's start with um, your father's death. Just share with our listeners what you'd like to share about that. Yeah, most people don't start off with uh, death so early on and everything. Um, but um, I 
um, just to maybe backtrack a little bit to help um, tell a little bit of the story of my father and everything. My mom um, and father got married um, in the, and um, they were very happy together. And my mom to this very day, she doesn't speak one bad thing about my actual father. And so even listening to those stories, he was a great man. So my mom, in all honesty, in her opinion, found somebody who she truly connected to and truly loved. And um, for her, it was everything. And uh, she, my sister came along eventually, and then I came along three years later. It was almost like the perfect story to an eternal family progression where you have this normal, natural family. And uh, um, early on in life, um, not every family gets the the perfect eternal um, life on this earth that you quite expect. And my father was going to work one day. He works. He worked at the um, the Natural History Museum, Life of the Dinosaur Museum down there, at, or in at Thanksgiving Point, and. He was on his way down and he got hit head on by a vehicle and uh, um, was um, pretty much sandwiched between two vehicles. And then he had bled out wow. um, afterwards. And so um, I can only imagine the fateful knock that my mom got on the door that day about my father passing away. And it was the wee hours of the morning. So this was a whole day um, thing that just you get the you get the call and you can only imagine it for some individuals. This would be the worst um, thing to hear is your eternal companion has passed away and gone already to the next life. And, um, early on in life, um, that was rough for my, my, my newfound family that I was still very young, even to quite understand what fully was going on. Um, but it hit my sister pretty hard and I can only imagine my mother, but, um, to really put a twist on it, it gave, um, something, um, unexpected in our family and just, um, Something that I will ever forever be grateful for because my mom, her faith and testimony in the gospel um, is what I believe kept my family together in a lot of ways. Um, it was because of the gospel that you was <laughs> that she found her strength. Um, she felt like it was easy for her to slip away and to really have um, just be angry at God for taking away her, her eternal companion, <laughs> but she stayed true to her covenants. And even to this day is still sealed, um, to my, my father. And for that gave me for, for her faith, it gave me a testimony in the plan of salvation, um, early on in life, even though I didn't quite have a strong testimony of the gospel and had my own quote unquote testimony, it was her faith that kept me true um, to the gospel and really kept me close to her because of her. She has probably one of the kindest hearts and I'm too spoiled to have her. <laughs> she truly blesses my life even to this day. And um, in a lot of ways, she will always bring up the gospel and just never speak ill of my father. Um, tell, us your, tell our listeners your father's first name and your mother's first name. So my mom's first name is Jana. Her maiden name was Combi. And uh, my father's name was Brian Versi. And so it was uh, the Versi's was the last name. And so actually, in all technicality, I am the only one who's carrying on my father's name right. <laughs> in my side of the family. There, right. I do have other Versi's in my family, but it is a rare name here in the States um, for sure. And especially in Europe area too. And so, Give memories of your father. I don't know if, 
if a three-year-old remembers. I I honestly do not have any memories. I wish I and did. And are you peace with that or do you wish you did or... My mom is the most clever woman and she just knows what to do in those scenarios. Um, even though I haven't had quite the experience with my father, when I served my mission, actually, um, my mom would send me daily snippets from his journal that he would write in his journal and then mark it each week. And wow. she would give me weekly those journal entries so I can read it by day basis and read the story of the individual he was, I picked up the same habit, and I didn't realize this, that he had with writing the same entry into the journal with a phrase. I say, today I enjoyed, where he said, today I experienced. And for me, I got to learn who the man he was. And through um, my mom's stories and through the pictures she shared and the countless hours of talking to her and even the moments because she she had a lot to grieve about and still does to this very day because it's not an easy thing to deal with um, losing losing a loved one. And to this very day, I hear of the great individual he was, even with his patriarchal blessing. And I know I goofed the name up just a little That's bit. That's fine. But um. When I received mine, I was able to read my father's as well. And something that I do, I shrunk my um, blessing into kind of this card, like this small little laminated thing that I can fit into a small scripture carrying case. And then my father's was a full-sized one. And so what I would do, I would wrap his around mine, showing that his arms would always be around me, even though, and he would be a part of my life, even though he wasn't physically there. And that always taught me that even though loved ones can move on, they still can play a role in your life. I love both of those stories. I just imagine your father being aware that you were reading his journal during your mission. And your father, when he wrote that journal on his mission, had no idea except a feeling that I should write in my journal what that would do for his own son once he was tragically killed. He he even still blesses me to this very day. He paid for my schooling even then. He created funds accounts. He was smart with money. And um, I graduated with a bachelor's degree with no debt because of him. And I was able to get a car and a nice car at that, being very spoiled, honestly, in my opinion. <laughs> but he did so much that um, he still plays a profound impact in my life. He even paid for the car I have now. Talk about your mother remarrying and how that was for you and your relationship with your, and I don't know if you call him your stepfather, mm -hmm. your dad, your father, so a or a first name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a, a clarification that I actually make is I always will refer to my birth father as my father. A great deal, many of individuals can be a great father, but very few can be a dad. Um, I grew up with this individual and I still call him dad. When I call him, I still say, I love you. And I'm grateful for the man he is. It wasn't an easy road for my mom. Um, he um, grew up with a harder life, not as much emotionally attachment as my father was, but he always was very to the point. He would always say it how it was. And he would be very, very straightforward. And he always respected and did everything he could um, for us. And he was the only one that took interest in us kids, me and my sister, quote unquote, when my mom was dating again. And that's what really um, she wanted because my mom knew she needed um, a father in our lives or a dad in our lives. And so she looked for that opportunity and she found, yeah, my dad, who he, he's a, his last name's Pope. And we continue to joke about that day, came from a family of 14 siblings. And so big family, uh, my mom married into 72 cousins, 365 and counting grandkids. I have nephews and nieces that are older than me. Wow. It's a, it's a crazy experience, but, um, 
the individual he is um he did um he has tattoos on his shoulders he's just he's the he, he's like this ragtag unexpected mormon you would ever expect to have even when he um does land developing he works on this property and right next to him on, on a property he owns is a, a sports bar in my hometown of colorado and uh it's the funniest thing um just to see that he he, he doesn't take this um and i i want to be just straightforward i did i grew up outside this utah mormon culture you can say and i grew up outside of the world where you can just learn to love people better and you actually learn to believe your faith and believe your gospel he was a true living example of that and i followed that faith as well um just his stern strong example and saying how it was he didn't have faith in the gospel because his family told him to he chose it and he lived it and still and he lived it, it to very, very uniquely day. to him he just is exactly. his own man so he's your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Versi is your father who mm-hmm. died at three. Mm-hmm. And I love your distinction there. Mm-hmm. That way it helps me to clarify because um, I'm technically, I can be blessed with two dads, I guess you could say. I had a mother, but I was blessed with two dads in my life, a father and a dad. How long between your father's death and when your mother remarried? It was about two years. It was fairly quick. Um, right when I was able to recognize a dad or a dad figure in my life, Um, It was pretty quick. My mom was able to, um, she still had a lot of grieving, but she wanted that support in her life. Um, Talk about your father's example in your life and his role. So Brian's gone and you've given this example on on your mission. Other ways that someone on the other side of the veil has continued to influence you? Oh, may I count the ways? Um, there have been times I've um, read into the blessing he received before he passed away. And um, I'm sharing a little snippet because I don't know if there's a rule against passed away individuals, but just an idea of maybe a snippet from his That's patriarchal great. blessing. I love that, Alex. But uh, he share it says that um, he was blessed with his hands, his skills, um, in the ability of creating and just leadership, natural born leadership talent abilities. I do, in all honesty, believe he was the one who blessed me with those abilities, teaching me in such ways where they were hard for me to learn because I was, I, people wouldn't think of me the same today as they did. I was a natural born introvert, but I became extrovert later in life. Um, And I think my father was there to teach me both on my mission, but through his example as um, a leader and following his footsteps, being in the same town in Ogden where he grew up. Um, didn't really grew up in Ogden, but just following his footsteps of the things he did there um, and the friends he made, they all share messages of him and are grateful for the individual he was, even one of his good friends um, <laughs> who to this very day, every Memorial Day will clean his gravesite. And I would send him a message saying how grateful I was for that. And he would say, I miss your father for the great man he was. Wow. And just, I want to strive for that. An individual who might be along, but people still honor him for the imagine. He was a volunteer firefighter. He did fossil recreations. He found the biggest bone for BYU that's on display still at Thanksgiving Point. Wow. Dinosaurs have influenced my life so much in my entire time. And it, some reason, his connections are just still around so strongly. I love that. I love his interest in dinosaurs. We have a son at our house that is very interested in dinosaurs, so he may know your father's name. 
Uh, more about your father you'd like to share, more lessons from this period of life, um, speaking to others that have lost a parent. Um, any other things you want to share? I think what comes to mind is the idea that loss is hard no matter what, whether that be a family member, a sibling, a friend, to suicide or anything like that. I've had many friends who struggle um, that I see have a hard time. My, my trainer on my mission <laughs> and I struggled together because when I, in my first few weeks in the mission, my grandfather passed away. He was in the ICU and he had a hard death. He was trachea. He had a trachea down his throat um, and everything. And it, it took, it, he had a hard death and he only passed away once I started serving my mission. And he was actually in recovering stages when I left. So I didn't think he would pass away while I was away. And, uh, my mission companion also had a hard time with his family because his father wasn't a member and as weird of a connection that is when we were both at that emotional state for both of us, we were able to save each other while we were on the mission. And it taught me something about loving one another in such a unique way where it opens my heart to be more empathetic, to be more understanding and show hope in times of trial. And to be able to show a smile even at a funeral, knowing that there is a plan. And even though whether a family member or whatever you lose, there is that opportunity. And how great will be the day when we're united with our loved ones. Have you ever thought about how you're, sometimes I think about people on the other side and we, we talk about when they go home, how glorious it is. Uh, how beautiful it is, and I believe that, but I've also wondered if they bring their emotional, they're still human and they feel emotional feelings. And I've wondered your father and how he, and even though he sees the full plan and he sees everything, just his emotional feelings not being here to raise you. Do you ever think about that? And do you ever feel his emotions? I've never felt um and getting into really a spiritual side of me i've never felt he was ever disappointed or sad that he wasn't able to raise us because the work he does um now i believe is more important i know fam raising a family is critical but what he had to do in the next life was very critical um i know this due to revelation I love um, both from his blessing but also through my lifetime and what my mom has shared with me he has a great deal of many works he was blessed with skills in his hands and i believe he's building legitly building Zion on the other side preparing for the very day i will be able to spend another eternity with him and that gives me hope and the rest of my family hope that we can spend the rest of time. It's just a temporary state we're in. That is just an understanding I've always carried with me. And he's always touched my life in such ways, both spiritually and emotionally, that brings me to tears this very day. I love that answer. And I think that answer is only possible with understanding of this plan of salvation. Um, I won't, I'd love to have our listeners learn about your journey as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, is there anything else you want to share about this part of your life, losing your father, your mother remarrying, have a father and a dad? I love what you shared about the mission journal. 
Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to share, Alex? I'll probably step back to it every once in a while because I tend to mix everything because my life has a mix of different (laughs) things running around. I put everything together because we don't learn one thing at a time without it being a connection to another thing. Talk about, first, just talk about you realizing you're gay. So I, I love backtracking a little bit so I can build a base level for me because I always do this. Um, for me, realizing that I was gay, I didn't actually even know what gay meant. <laughs> um, they don't really teach it, or at least the time or era I was around or whatever. They don't really teach that um, in elders or not in elders quorum in like in priesthood or in um, let alone primary. Um, you just don't quite understand it. And so when I was given the birds and the bees talk or the sex talk, I, I'm just bold about it because I grew up with a very comfortable family. I have a lot of doctors running around. Um, when I was given the talk, my parents would tell me like, hey, like if you have any questions about this, know that it is sacred and everything and you be fidel and everything in marriage and everything and be respectful of everything. They wouldn't think like, oh, we're going to teach them about um, the LGBT crowd and everything. They wouldn't think to have that conversation at the same time. Right. parents won it, honestly, or I let alone any. Um, and so I went through life just not understanding. So they never taught me. So I never knew. But I knew for a fact that I was more in touch with my emotional side. I was a quirky kid. And so, like, I was so quirky that people wouldn't think probably that I was attracted to other boys or men, I guess you could say. But um, a lot of the story came around to this understanding of I didn't know what actually I was experienced because it was never told me. It's honest. And so I never had the support and I never could understand. And I... (laughs) <laughs> scared to death to bring it up in a deacon's quorum because they're like, oh, you'd be weird or something. Because you, I was a quirky kid. I was just weird. I would say weird things. And I was like, oh, you're the kid that just said it. It would be like almost you would sit, sitting in a class. Everybody was talking about something and you'd see that one person in the back say that one comment where everybody would just look back and say, huh? <laughs> or just disregard it because it was just too weird because they didn't know what to do with it. I was that kid. And so I couldn't express myself. I started school a year later because I was so quirky and quiet even. I was a quiet kid. And my mom thought I had autism because of that. And um, that's another story right there. Um, And the teachers did too. But um, I personally um, thought it was a hard road. And so for me, um, that led to a lot of my own personal investigation. Um, And uh, I didn't even share it with my family and I did my own research, but I never could put the two to two together. It was hard. And I never could quite understand who I was. Other things came along and I was already entrenched in so many things that I'm not going to share it because when I finally understood probably about 15 or 16, it's about five years down the road. Most boys can figure this out very young, but for me to understand, I was already entrenched in all this. And so it was already a secret that I could keep because I kept it already for the first five years of my life. Why not five more later on? And I kept the secret so superficial that nobody would know. They would always think you were just the weird kid. And so I'd stay aloof. No, never really had any friends. I was just different. You know, it's a, every story I hear is, is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, I hope everybody could see your body language. There's no shame in everything you're saying. I love the way you love who you are, were back then. Mm-hmm. 
And even though you use the term quirky and stuff like that, you're using that in a positive way and not in a shameful way. So I love the way you own, I love the way you're proud of who you were pre-mission and during this phase. It took me a long time to come to terms with that. Um, I never, I, I have always had strong emotional health. Um, that's one thing that makes me different than a lot of other individuals. And since I had a stronger family, it, I think it helped in my emotional development. <laughs> even up to my mission, I was even quirky, even during my mission. Um, some of my mission companions say I'm completely different even now. But when I was able to learn to accept myself post-mission and became the individual who I became, and the Lord changed me in a lot of those ways, um, almost all those ways, actually. Um, I became somebody that people couldn't recognize. Um, something my mission president always um, would beat into our heads, quite literally, is um, there are two different types of things of learning progression we can have. One is like a cheerleader pep rally. You can be pumped up, ready to go, oh, and be excited and walk out of a door unchanged and forget about it two days down the road or even five seconds down the road. It's like a you forget last week's Sunday lesson, Sunday school lesson. But for me, um, when he would go in, he would say, but you can also be changed. You can apply those materials or even listen to the most boring of talks and get the best material out of it and be changed by walking out of the doors, applying the material in your heart. I believe my mission changed me so much. I owe a lot to it. Even though personally, I didn't change that many other individuals. I might've supported and helped a lot of individuals and I had troubling companions and companions that I had a hard time with. I was meant to change and because the Lord called me on my mission for me. I think that just led me to the realization that the Lord plays more of an influence than we realize. His atonement is not just for healing. It is for changing us and making us whole. I'm able to accept who I am and even have a hard time and I'm surprised by it to this very day. But because of Heavenly Father and through the power of the atonement, <laughs> I am the individual who becomes better at speaking, at better of who I want to be and still changes me to this very day. And I still think, oh my gosh, what do you got planned for me next? And, um, but he's always taught me um, in a lot of ways to live in the moment. Um, I shared this a little bit during the recent North Star conference that we had and everything. And this was something that I've always believed um, is both a good humor joke, but also a good profound impact on me, literally and figuratively. Um, when I was questioning myself one day, it was a really hard day. And I was just this internal thoughts, just you come boiling up and you spin around and it just boils up and it stews for so long. And uh, I was doing this for so long. I was a janitor at a Native American jewelry store out of all places. And I walked around and I was moving one of the trash cans and I lift my head up and I walked forward and I hit my head on one of our low rise totem poles on the wing of that totem pole. And so I'm surprised I don't have a scar to this day because of how hard and the wood just shaked afterwards. It's like one of those bam moments. It hits you in the face. And I felt like it was a Pentecostal moment where you get that slap on the head every once in a while. But um, for me, it was almost the Lord's figuratively and literally way telling me, just stop. Wait. Be a little bit more patient. 
And from that day, um, I didn't pray for patience ever since that day, but I prayed for the ability um, to always live in the moment. Because we miss so many things in the moments because we're letting these thoughts stew of the past, the current, and in the future. But sometimes we forget just being in the moment and enjoying what we do have. Love that. Share with our listeners when, um, were you, did you come out to anybody before your mission? I did not. I was terrified too, in all honesty. Um, I. And then um, who, did you come out to anybody during your mission or was it after your mission? And I did come out to one companion during my mission, but all the other elders just thought I was weird anyways, that they would ne- I never brought it up in a conversation. Why did you come out to that companion? And are you glad you did? Was it a good experience or not a good experience? It was, it was a loaded gun, I would say. It was almost like playing Russian roulette some days with us. Some days it was a good reason. Some days it was a little bit weird. It was like Russian roulette. We, were, um, we didn't get along a lot of the times. We were like, I would almost compare it to a DNA helix strand where we would clash with our things because he was a country boy, a plain city individual very upfront, very like to the point and like didn't care about others' opinions. He, he loved listening, but just opinions didn't matter. And then you had me much more spiritual, much more talkative, much more emotional, quirky, just weird kind of computer, like behind myself introvert. We would have different viewpoints and we'd sometimes clash. And that was kind of my first experience. And ever since then, I learned to be more careful <laughs> about that. And that's, I never. That's good. That's good for our listeners to hear. Um, I did at one point come out to my mission president as well. And he said he still loved me, but nothing ever came of it because it's like, I think in his honest opinion, it's just like, that's not going to get be the reason to send you home. If you probably did something stupid, yes. But if um, you still love the Lord and you were still worthy and you still did everything to a good, good measure. Go back and kind of say when you came out to yourself, so to speak, I think you inferred that was 1617 where you recognize that I'm gay or, or, or not? Was it later? Was it later than that? And did it kind of go back and forth? It kind of went back and forth where I wanted to not accept it for a while. Um, it was a part of me I didn't want to accept because I didn't understand it. And for me, anything I didn't understand, a lot of human beings would just want to throw it out or just push it away. And so I kind of ignored it sometimes, but like when you ignore most of your emotions, they come back to bite you. And um, a lot of my life, I've had to learn, even into my mission, I had to make sure I conceal, don't fill, don't let them know type sensations running around and just like, I, I can't, I'm, I'm too afraid. And even after um, I came out to that mission companion, I was even more careful because of it. Um, and I know I wasn't a perfect individual either. None of us are perfect. That's one thing. And that's why what helps me to be patient with others. But I really didn't come to terms and accept myself until actually later on in life, until recently, until after my mission, until I moved to an area and had to deal with um, hard breakups. (laughs) I dated. And um, when I would tell these individuals, because I thought they had the right to know, of course, I didn't want them to come in and say, oh, he is attracted to other men. Oh, dear. (laughs) Um, I wanted to make sure they were aware and they they had the right, I felt like, to know. And when I felt like it was a good time, it oftentimes led to very disappointing results, um, especially with my first person I dated. And then um, that was just a hard breakup. I don't even talk to her now. <laughs> but um, there was one individual I came out and we're still very good friends to this very day. We're really good friends and we talk, but um, it was hard for us. It was really hard. 
because for me, I always wanted to make the fact I believed I could be physically maybe attracted to men, but emotionally and spiritually, I could make things work. And somehow the physical would solve itself. Some reason that just doesn't seem to work <laughs> in a lot of relationships. Um, but for me, um, because kissing and holding hands can be a little bit of a challenge. I never was a touchy-feely person. I kind of am now, but I'm not really like, it takes me a moment to still open up to individuals because my just quirkiness shows every once in a while. And when I finally came terms to myself, ever since I came to terms with myself, I actually haven't been on a date, but I can be happy with who I am. It was hard, but I can be honest with myself now and have those conversations and seek out the support. Um, I felt like I was without support for so long because even as a child, not knowing exactly what was going on when I figured out maybe I was different, like I knew it was different, but I didn't know why figuring it out, then hiding it. And then finally coming to terms with it. It's like a process. Yeah. This is like a 20, no, 25 year, no, 15 year process. There we go. A 15 year process of me learning and growing. And then now being in the position I am, I can actually share with the skills and talents my Heavenly Father blessed me with and will probably continue to bless me with. And so I want to make sure I fulfill my promises to him and to use them. It's a really great story, Alex. Pretty honest story. 15 years from age 11 to 26 you're now. And it'd be interesting to have your 11-year-old self look at you um, and just, I think he'd be proud of you. He might be surprised. <laughs> I, if, if you would have asked me if I would have been an elder scorn president when at age 15, a lot of people would have agreed with me. They couldn't see it, in all honesty. <laughs> um, it's different. It really is. When you go from an introvert to the individual um, who introverts are great. I, I'm still an extroverted introvert. I still believe. I love my seclusion every once in a while when I need time to ponder and to stew. But to become an individual who can lead and to become a lover of others and come in to understand a more comprehensive form of love and a story that just comes to mind is now I'm, I'm rambling. I, when I was elders quorum president, I love my elders quorum to death. They are amazing individuals. However, um, they were very unique individuals um, and they weren't very talkative. And the problem was there was um, caring in the ward, but there was not a love in the ward you'd quite expect. And I think I knew early on what the Lord called me to do. Um, so I came in into this ward with this elders quorum president and a struggling um, elders quorum where it was just small. At one point, there was only three of us in Utah. In Utah, there was a three men elders quorum. But it, it, it grew up. It, it grew again eventually, but uh, I had to introduce this idea of what I called bromance, as most people would call it, but an ability to show love to another individual. That's great. And for me, that was everything. And I would say, put your hands on the shoulder. My, my counselors, who were amazing, took it a little too far at times. Um, they didn't know at the time. Uh, my second counselor still doesn't know about my first. Um, he knows now, but he didn't realize in the time. But there were times when they would come in and just to make things a little bit more lighthearted. Um, my first counselor, while I was sitting, standing up at the podium, he'd come by and slap me in the butt. And then he would go sit down and I'd be like looking over at him like, really? There goes the spirit. <laughs> and then I would look back at him um, and then just kind of saying, love you still, though. 
And then we'd still talk. And that was always a good example to show for those individuals without being like, I had to be open to my ward to show a, a type of love that I only probably could have protested to the ward. I love that your call is Nellers Corn President. I love the tone of love and acceptance and helping everybody feel like they belong. Talk about, because um, you such have such a good relationship with our Savior, I sense, and so grounded in the gospel. Did you ever go down this road of, you know, Jesus, you know, using the atonement to be straight or praying the gay away or making deals with God? And because some of the most spiritual people I interviewed mm-hmm. are, might be more likely to do that versus, and just talk to our listeners about that journey. Well, there were points where I did want to pray the gay away and everything or try to convince myself otherwise. Um, before I even had faith in what the atonement was, I would want to say, like, I just want to get rid of this. I want this gone in my life. I just, I, I want anything else but this. You've already taken a father from me. You've already, I've dealt with a lot of debt loss in my life. I don't need this. I already have a heavy enough burden. But when I finally reached the point where I believed that Heavenly Father was really there and I felt that spiritual impression, it wasn't like a big bang theory or anything where the spirit just slaps you on the back of the head and say, I'm real here. It was more of a subtle eventuality where I practiced what I believed in and gained the testimony. And when I was able to actually do, other parts of me came a part of me. And somehow just being gay came a part of me. It just followed along. And are you at this point where you're at peace being gay, or do you still hope God will change you? I've listened to this on your podcast a few times where you can put the button right in front of us. Um, I want to say I'd quite destroy the button, but I wouldn't want that button to be around nevertheless. I believe it's given me the ability and capability to be more heedful of the spirit. I think a lot of us don't realize that. When I've noticed that other individuals, especially when I went to North Star, this was the first time I got to experience such a Christ-like love for individuals who are like me and be able to connect on such a different level emotionally and even physically that I never thought was possible. I learned and learned that love can be expressed in healthy ways and ways that... I couldn't quite anticipate. I've met friends there that um, I will want to hold on for a very long time, if not eternally. For me, that was the first time I ever got actual physical support from another human being, kind of in my shoes, in a different road. What do you mean physical support for listeners? So um, for me, physical touch was a hard part of my life. I was so introverted and kind of quirky and awkward that um, I never really gave that much hugs. I never was clingy or touchy. But even studying psychology, the basic human desire is to feel wanted and part of a group. While not one of my main modes of expressing myself is through touch, I knew it was still a part of me that I really needed. Um. When I finally was able to go to conference and everything, the first person that I met (laughs) 
bless his wonderful soul. It was Dennis. I cannot remember his last Schlacker. name. Schlacker. I always mispronounce it out of fear. And he um, was the first person I ever met actually at the North Star Conference. And I didn't know who he was. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. And I still laugh because people were approaching him just the entire day. We met in the temple, everything else later on during the day. People would approach him and say, you don't know me, but I know you. And I love your like everything pretty much. And I'm like, who is this guy? He mentioned it during one of his um, his breakout session, too. And I thought it was so funny just like to have that experience. But um, there were other guys that I met there um, that I was able to just give a hug. And there was no judgment. Um, even the packs there. Um, I figured out we were related by family too, extended family. Anna and Bridget Pack. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a wonderful opportunity in itself. Um, and the love expressed there. And I was able to hug without judgment, put my arm around somebody's shoulder and not be, there wasn't a second look or you'd hear the, the, the men in the background go, good which was my fear growing up as a kid because I would hear that and then I played the game so well, most people wouldn't even realize I was probably that way. And I I would think the need you're describing equally applies to straight people and LGBTQ people. So when you talk about a hug or an arm, I don't look at that as an inappropriate, you know, I just look at that as a need we all have for physical connection in an appropriate way. So is that correct? Is that way you're describing it? Mm-hmm. It was the want and need to feel like I was a part of a group that I could connect with. I've always needed that. Um, up to that very point, I had a hard time. That's why when I went on Pinterest in a much more safer point in my life where I, I knew how to resist a lot of things, um, I went to Pinterest and lo and behold, out of all things, I find Ben Schaefer's um, blog. And then he mentions North Star and then, oh, look, back door to North Star. Here I am. And then when I joined North Star, I just barely missed the last conference, which I was bummed about because I heard it was really good. But when I came to this one, this was my first opportunity to actually not have to worry about coming out. I was there and I was open and I could just be the gay could be just a part of me, not something different. I think of North Stars. I've been there a couple of times and I think of what you're describing and I think of, you know, can that be scaled into our congregation so that everybody feels in our congregations the way you felt at North Star? And so whether you're LGBTQ or straight or whatever, mm-hmm. you just, we you have that same feeling of belonging in our congregations. Or do you need North Star because it's specifically a support group for LGBTQ, and so there's community there that's needed. Or, could, you know, so I think about that sometimes, Alex. I think about, you know, can the feeling you experience at North Star as we improve the culture, there's no doctrine that needs to change, as we mm-hmm. improve the culture and the understanding and help and and help LGBT people feel like they belong and are needed and we're not whatever pull back. Any thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to go back again because the Lord gave me the opportunity to grow and to change. He looked at me, an individual who was quirky, awkward, silent, did not know even how to talk to people up to my mission. And he gave me the ability to lead, to guide, 
and to be able to change, not through just one day I wake up and I'm a leader, but he gave me opportunities to grow and develop in such ways where I could become a speaker, um, where I can captivate individuals to listen, to hear. And the Lord, um, I had a conversation with my Heavenly Father one night, and this was probably one of the most interesting conversations. Like, Heavenly Father, what do I need to do? And I could just almost hear this chuckle, like, <laughs> you already know. <laughs> and I said, but it helps to get an answer. <laughs> and um, I always just needed a backboard, and my Heavenly Father knew that. He gave me the backboard when I was ready to have it, to be able to leap up and support others. I was sitting around so much alone where I thought I was alone that my Heavenly Father gave me the opportunity to know what it felt like, almost similar to the Savior. Not exactly, thank goodness, but similar to the Savior because to bear one another's burden, sometimes we have to carry that burden. And it's, it's hard. It's a hard burden to carry. But through carrying that burden and then giving me a gift, I'm able to use it as a leader to reach out to those who are alone and then see individuals who might be in need and be empathetic. I can walk into a room and know if somebody's struggling. It's just a natural born skill I have now. I might not be perfect at it, but I can just feel it and guide it because I know how it felt. I've been there. I've lived it. I love that. Uh, Sometimes, you know, we try to kind of explain away why someone's LGBTQ and we point to things. And I find that that kind of keeps everything in a nice tidy box because if I can explain why someone's not straight, then it sort of shifts the responsibility away from me. If, you know, but if God actually, this is actually how God intended you to be, Alex, then it, it, it causes me to think a little deeper about what's going on here. So have you or others ever said, well, you are gay because of the trauma of your father dying at age three, and somehow the trauma of that experience, you're, you're falsely concluding you're gay because of that. And I don't want to make up things just to add to your burden that you've never thought of before. So oh, I hope that question's okay. It's a great question, actually. <laughs> I've got to laugh about this story because I have a really good friend now and she's probably going to shoot me for this one, but I won't say her name. But uh, when we were at a housewarming party of another mutual friend, we didn't know each other by then. She looks over to me and I was just kind of happy, flamboyant, kind of excited. She kind of just squints and looks at me and then um, says, were you a theater kid? Most people can recognize that implication right away. I was like, no, <laughs> instantaneous no. But um, you never thought a pure friendship would start by that. But uh, as we got to know each other um, and through certain experiences that we had, she finally asked, who are you? Because there was a moment where we finally figured out and had an opportunity to talk where I, I came up and I was serious and I showed my empathetic side, my leadership, my strong side. And it's not like I have two different sides anymore. I have one side. But showing this side, she was like, who are you? And we sat down and we talked. And we're really good friends to this very day. And even yesterday, we were able to celebrate her birthday on Monday. Um, Just going around town, even with um, a lot that's going on lately. um, We were just able to spend time again with each other. 
and build such a beautiful relationship because of it. We might not be romantic, but we still have a beautiful friendship that we can cherish. And many of my other friends um, that know, we can cherish those relationships. And did she or others or you ever try to link you being gay with your father's early death? Has that ever come up? I always joke about this because I took quite a few psychology courses because for me, when I took the health major, I think it was a helpful to me to understand um, what gay is and where it came from. I make the joke, oh, it's totally daddy issues. No, it, if it was totally daddy issues, there would be a lot more gay people running around. Um, for me, Good. I just, it was always a part of me. And I think it just, we don't ask for it. Sometimes we develop it. Sometimes we change. Who knows where we run around on the Kinsey scale. But it's what we do with it then afterwards. Um, when I was at the North Star Conference, there was this one individual who stated, I wake up in the morning and I, I, I tell myself I'm gay. And like when I go to the gym, I'm gay. And she would mention these things over and over again. I almost just wanted to overlook her and look at her. And this probably is the gayest things I say is, oh, honey, you are not alone. <laughs> Because I would wake up saying the same things. And I'm just like, there we go. There would be a lot more individuals who would have these issues if we could tie them back to these stereotypical answers. I am not a stereotypical person. None of us are. We should stay away from stereotypical. We are in an era where we should grow and break away from social norms that have been a part of our lives for so long. I'm not asking for gospel or doctrine change. That is inspired by God. But what I'm asking for is for us to take away from this norms that we grow up with. Well, it's wrong to play with dolls or it's wrong to do these things because we think it and we're taught these things. We need to break away from those things and really become individuals who think openly and differently. We need to say, okay, this person might be attracted to men. And then what? What can we do with this? What opportunities can arise? We oftentimes see like all these things as what can we do to change instead of what kind of opportunity can come from this. Everything you just said doesn't have any shame. Even when you quoted that gay woman, there was no shame. Um, everybody, you and her owning who you are in a positive, healthy way. And I've always felt one of Satan's greatest tools is to cause you to feel shame for how you're created. And I think shame separates you from God and separates you from personal revelation. It separates you from being your best self. So I love where you are, Alex, just um, you're just owning who you are and, and you're, you're proud of everything about you. Even when you use the word quirky, I wish our listeners could see your expression. It's not, you're not being negative towards yourself. You're just owning that part of your personality and you're owning who God created you, and you're still looking to improve, and you're still looking to grow, and you've talked about how you've added other Christ-like attributes and skills, and often those come out when we're tested like a mission, mm -hmm. or we're called to be an elders quorum president, then some of these attributes that I think sometimes are dormant mm -hmm. get a chance to really grow, and, and so I love what you're sharing there. Will you explain the Kinsey skill for our listeners, if there's anybody that hasn't heard of that? I think all of us have a different understanding of what the Kinsey scale <laughs> actually is. <laughs> well, give us your take on it. My take on it is um, I, I, I always understood it one to six. I would almost want to put one to 20 because you can run anywhere in between because it's such a wider scale. I, I believe it's the roughest, like most um, just. It's a scale of sexual orientation. Exactly. Going from straight to gay. 
Um, pretty much one being the straightest person you can be, six being the gayest person you can be. Either way, I might run at five, but sometimes that can change. Um, when you hear the word sexual fluidity, which means your sexual orientation can change, I believe a lot more have it, us have it than we realize. Um, where over time we can change. And just sometimes the Lord will change us to who we need to be. For me, I'm, I'm still on that five. I'm changed, but the Lord still keeps it with me because maybe I need to still learn. Maybe I just need to gain an understanding that quite nobody else can experience. And maybe I need to be learned. I need to be probably taught something. I don't know. This life is a time of learning and of growth, not of challenge and testing. This life was never meant to be easy. It was meant It was meant for us to be enjoyed. Talk about your father, Brian, who died. Um, you've never had the chance to come out to him, at least in mortality. Do you? And some people wonder if they're deceased parents, how they feel about them. You know, they, you, you've come out to your mother. We haven't talked about that yet. You've, I think mm -hmm. you've come out to your dad, mm -hmm. your stepfather. Talk about your father, Brian, and how he feels about you being gay. I would only imagine he knows now or he's known all my life. Um, he's been part of me for so long that I think he's just never stepped away. So he's always known. But um, in his blessing, um, me and my sister are both mentioned. Um, even though he didn't have the chance to raise them, he said, and it, it never said about raising us, but it told that choice spirit children would be given to you. I don't know where I fall on choice, but I know he held that as a sacred honor. Are you at peace with this, that your you've never had a chance to come out to your father? Is that great on you? And do you wonder how we would accept you or just know your father well enough you don't worry about that. From what I hear from my dear beloved mother, never speaks an ill word from him. I have no doubt he still loves me eternally. No doubt that he is still a part of me because I know he's taught me all my life. And I am his living legacy. That is the greatest that way to put true. it. And I want to carry that on. His ability to love and to care and to just do things. I might not have all his artistic abilities. I went with my sister. But I have his ability to love and to care. I did inherit something from him. And I, my mom and even my uncle, who is not as active in the gospel, um, says they see a lot of him in me. I don't know who exactly he was. I have ideas through his journals and through the manuscript and what others have told me about him, but I have never heard a negative thing from him, not even from the closest of family members. He was different, and I want to strive to be different, not to be a stereotypical gay Latter-day Saint, but I want to be different, a different gay Latter-day Saint. <laughs> I love that, and I have to think that honors him, and I have to think he's extremely proud of you. And I have to think, you know, he sees the big picture of Heavenly Father's plan for you and is really comfortable. And I love that you want to be unique. Um, I, there's a, there's um, a quote from Elder Uchtdorf that's in this book, and I can't remember it, but it sort of talks about, you know, we sometimes look at the differences in people and, 
And that makes us a little uncomfortable, but God didn't mean, mean to make us all out of the same mold. And that's part of the beautiful diversity that's part of that. So if some of you are out there are a little unique or like Alex sitting in front of me, I don't think uniqueness implies sin or needing to change. It's just who we all are individually. And as long as those attributes are blessing others' lives and helping ourselves grow closer to Christ, I think that beautiful, um, not all of the same mold is part of the needed diversity. Um, you talked about stereotypes, and I think I've mentioned this to our listeners after being honored to meet so many, in this case, a gay Latter-day Saint. I've recognized that my gaydar is not very good because I meet so many people that don't fit the stereotype that I thought and that either society or my own experience had manufactured in my mind. And I'm glad about that. Um, um, I didn't know actually Alex was gay before this podcast. We traded emails a little bit and he mentioned he was at North Star before we recorded. So I didn't know even interacting with Alex before we you know, after visiting for five minutes. So I just think that's an important learning that Alex is sharing and certainly is my observation and is some of these stereotypes we've developed. You know, I don't know if that's helpful um, as far as our baptism goal to help people feel like they're more in comfort and bear and, and just helping people belong and not putting everybody that's gay or whatever into some neat, tidy description, because there's great diversity within each letter of the LGBTQ spectrum. Do you want to add anything to that? I agree with that full heartedly. And just to really add to that, um, as much as anything, I don't fit that stereotypical mode. I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, what am I going to match with my clothing this morning? Or what am I going to just do to kind of express myself through makeup and hair done dramatically? Like I probably just woke up this morning. And since right now, currently I'm working from home because a lot of us are now working from home. Um, I just woke up and kind of went on my normal run and just came back home um, and just worked from home. And I think my hair was just crazy for the rest of the day. I did my hair a little bit before I came down here, but <laughs> I, these norms, we need to break out of these and we need to make sure we understand that it shouldn't be all of who we are. That is one lesson I want to teach. Being gay can only be a piece of you. It cannot be the whole thing. We're much more than that. We keep forgetting how much more we actually are. Well, you in this last couple uh, minutes, we've talked to younger LGBTQ people. What would you say to them listening? Well, the stereotypical answer is you're not alone. And I, I believe that full heartedly and you'll understand later. But <laughs> for younger individuals, There is a time, and not just one particular moment, it's almost a series of times, whereas if you continue to try to live in the moment and try to be patient with yourself, and we'll probably never get all the answers in this life, I still have many, many questions, many answers that I want, but it's not the answers I need. You will be given the answers when you need them, not when you want them. It's a really powerful answer. It's not a very long answer, but it's a very powerful answer. 
And it leads me to a couple questions. I want, you're out to your mom, Jana. Um, how has that gone? My mom still outreaches me in so much love. Um, when we talk about it every once in a while, and I, I sometimes bring it up and she brings it up every once in a while. At first she was concerned for me, but not necessarily what I would necessarily be. She was more concerned about me, not because I was gay. She outreached in love, support of the true example of a Christ-like love that I want to emulate. Being good of goodly parents, I had both. Having good parents still, I have now. But I want to emulate my mom's love. The care she is, everybody is drawn to her. And I want to emulate that in so much. It's she who's taught me some of my greatest lessons. Developed my testimony of strength, enduring, and the true understanding that the gospel is sometimes repeating steps of repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost, and reliving that all over again. Jana, I don't know if you're listening, but we talked about you before we went live and the things that your son Alex just said, but great job as a mom and and um, being one of the key people, the key person that's given Alex this great foundation he has and navigating really complicated things with, you know, that early morning knock at the door and losing your partner. Um, and so thank you for your example of faith. And the fruit of that is Alex, who's sharing his testimony and his insights. Um, a lot of people, you're 26 and you've dated women um, you're active in the church. You're not dating women right now. You're not dating men right now. And so you've kind of got these paths, um, being alone, being celibate, staying in the church, still marrying a woman, um, leaving the church and marrying a man. But I, but I sense from when we visited earlier, and you just you also talked about this just in the last segment, is I, I think you're trying to teach, I'm finding peace in the moment versus knowing exactly how that's all going to work out. And that seemed really like a position of strength, Alex, to just say, you know, that that can lead to a lot of unsettledness and anxiety. Anxiety is about the future. And somehow, I love what you're teaching. I'm just going to find peace in the moment. Just elaborate that on any more if you want to. Um, actually, I also learned a little bit more at a, a mindfulness retreat, actually, that North Star put together, too. That was an amazing retreat. but. Um, Growing up, I loved um, meditation arts, yoga, all these things that brought peace. I had a, I did 10 years worth of karate. I did receive my black belt. There's so many different sides of me that I wish I could have just shared tonight. Even a marathon trainer, just throw that in the mix. Um, What's your PR? Not very high, but I've trained people in the military. All right. <laughs> have you run marathons? Yes. Okay. Just, we won't get on that too much. But... So, but I do train people for marathons. Good. But, um... I'm losing my train of thought. I know I sidetracked you there. You're talking about <laughs> but um this but finding peace in the moment is our last segment. My karate instructor. I've had so many amazing teachers in my life that I wish I could just share all their life examples. But my karate instructor, he was my second one. He was much more of a spiritual leader. He taught me about having control over my body. And it, it sounds weird, but saying that your mind 
has so much power than we even realize. That if you were just to sit down and look at yourself, you can have so much more control. For me now, I can keep my heart rate below 40 at my own whim. And as amazing that it sounds, we do have power to live in the moment. And for me, being able to just sit down and just even listen to my own body, you see the beauties of life. And you see the beauties of what's around you. You can listen. You can hear. There's listening, but there's hearing. And we oftentimes forget how to hear. That is another way the Spirit speaks to us. And sometimes when you're hearing, the Spirit just drops in. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners in a concluding remark? One thing, and it's coming to me as I I say this, is that I don't know what life has in store for me. I don't know where um, I'm going. I know where I come from. And I might not know exactly my pre-existence. But whatever I decide... My Heavenly Father is always by my side. And I just rhymed there, I just realized. But uh, there's truth behind that statement. And there's truth behind everything we do. And whatever we decide to do in this life, our Heavenly Father will work it out for us. It's just important to keep that relationship with Him. That's what makes the difference. Love that. What a great concluding comment. So, um, Alex... Versi, V-E-R-S-E-Y. Thank you for joining us on behalf of all of our listeners on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Mm-hmm.